We interrupt your broadcast to bring you an episode from the Stephen or Else Network of Truly Epic Podcast. Find more shows at StephenOrElse.com. The Beyonder steals some clothes, he's mugged, and then Spider-Man teaches him how to use the toilet. That's today on Event or Else. Here it is, folks. Break the dish and make your wish. It's time for Event or Else, the podcast where I go through most every major Marvel and DC event, one issue at a time, one episode at a time, because, uh, to be honest, I didn't really have any time to write anything for this bit. So let's just pretend that it was funny and move on. All right. I'm your host. My name is Steven. And frankly, I am just as surprised as you that we are back for more Secret Wars 2. <laughs> hey, that rhymed. Speaking of rhymes. <laughs> Folks, here we go. Secret Wars 2, where my zombies at? Uh, some years ago, Marvel gave to you a nine-issue mini called Secret Wars 2. It made mad money from east to west. Though people gonna tell you that it wasn't the best. It was about this dude who was from beyond. He came to Earth and he tried to bond by learning all he could about humanity so that he could be all that he could be. Now, I read this book in 85. I was just a little guy trying to survive on comic books and apple pie as my family just tried to scrape by. We had the money to rock and roll until my dad lost his job in air traffic control. They had gone on strike for better pay. Then Reagan came along and took the jobs away. Not sure what all that has to do about a nine-issue mini called Secret Wars 2. About a dude from beyond who was off the map. And he had Spider-Man teach him how to crap. Word. Secret Wars 2, y'all. Spider-Man teaches the Beyonder how to use the toilet. That's not a joke. It's in issue two. Look it up. I'm out. Anyway, this week we're looking at issue number two. This issue sports a cover date of August 1985, but it hit the shelves on May 14th. And the title of this issue is I'll Take Manhattan. This was written by Jim Shooter with pencils by Al Milgram. The inks were by Steve Lay Aloha and Joseph Rubenstein. The letters by Rick Parker and Joseph Rosen. And the colorist was M. Hands. I don't. I don't know who that is. I don't know if that's even a real name. M. Hands. Yeah, as it sounds, H A N D S. Anyway, I'm going to say that a lot, I think, in this episode. Anyway, as the issue opens, having made his way across the country, the Beyonder materializes atop the World Trade Center in New York City. Looking like Steve Rogers in an all white bodysuit, the Beyonder has decided that the best path toward understanding humanity is through personal experience. And so he figures he should try and remain in his human form as much as possible. It's only after he steps off the top of the building, plummeting downward to join the throng of humanity below, that he quickly breaks his own rule, changing back to pure energy so as not to splatter himself across the street. Once on the ground, he experiences hunger. He recalls what Rachel Summers had told him about eating in one of the many tie-in issues, and so he makes his way to the nearest hot dog cart. Ordering a hot dog and a soda, he freaks out the vendor by eating the bottle. 
As the Beyonder continues to try and make sense out of New York, the city itself is in the grip of fear and hatred toward, well, everybody. Rioting and looting have broken out all over the city, and one mob of picketers have gathered to protest outside of Avengers Mansion. For a moment, the crowd parts long enough to allow a police van through. Inside, in handcuffs, are She-Hulk and Wyatt Wingfoot. Outside, Sue Richards, the Invisible Woman, uses her invisibility powers to sneak Alicia Masters from Avengers Mansion, where the Fantastic Four have taken up temporary residence. They are not hidden, however, from the two figures creeping about in the shadows of a nearby alley. One of them is the hate monger. The other, the hate monger calls Master. Both are behind the sudden surge of hatred gripping the city. Hatemonger changes his form so that he looks like Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic of the Fantastic Four, and husband of Sue Richards. Using the disguise, he is able to get close enough to Sue to touch her, imbuing his hate stimulus directly into her. Suddenly, Sue Richards is wearing the kind of outfit one would wear when spending a bit of adult time with a partner in such a way that a safe word would be required. She now calls herself Malice, and she's full of hate for Reed Richards. Meanwhile, the Beyonder is still aimlessly wandering the streets of New York. He ignores the rioting going on all about him and is instead pondering the purpose behind clothing as he passes by storefront windows with well-dressed mannequins inside. Suddenly, one of the rioters throws a brick through one of the store windows and the Beyonder uses the opportunity to step through and go into the store. He soon finds himself confronted by a store clerk and the one from beyond asks the man, Why are clothes? What is the purpose and significance of clothing? And why is eating? Rather than answering his questions, the clerk asks the Beyonder one of his own. Don't you have any relatives who can explain these things to you? Perhaps a friend? Satisfied with this response, the Beyonder leaves the store and using his godlike powers, quickly scans the entire city for somebody he might know finding Peter Parker nearby. Recognizing Parker from Battleworld, he teleports to the offices of the Daily Planet and begins asking Peter about clothing. Peter Parker, ever compassionate to the plight of those suffering from a mental illness, thinks to himself that this stranger is, and I quote, at least some kind of certified loony. I am not a loony. Why should I be tired with the epithet loony merely because I have a pet element? Deciding to ditch the stranger, Peter slips away and changes into Spider-Man before he web-slings back to his Soho apartment, unaware that the Beyonder is invisible and following him. Thinking that he is safe at home, Peter unmasks and begins drinking milk, straight from the carton, I might add, when the Beyonder startles him by appearing right before his eyes. After popping the Beyonder a fresh one on the chin, Peter realizes that the Beyonder is well, that he's the Beyonder, and that he has come seeking information. When Peter suggests that the Beyonder seek out Reed Richards, the one from beyond alerts him to a strange pressure, a fullness in his abdomen. Peter realizes that the Beyonder has to use the bathroom and has the awkward position of trying to explain to the Beyonder what going to the bathroom is. When the Beyonder's done, you know, using the toilet... He tells Peter that he is going to go seek out Reed Richards, 
And before Peter can respond, the Beyonder teleports away. Realizing what he's done by sending the Beyonder to Reed Richards with no warning, Peter pulls his mask back on and swings off to warn Reed. The Fantastic Four, meanwhile, are in a pitched battle against the hate monger. Not only is She-Hulk there with no explanation at all regarding how she got from being cuffed in a police van to being reunited with the FF, we also learn that at some point in between the panels, Reed has managed to free Sue from the hate monger's control. Suddenly, mid-battle, the Beyonder arrives and begins pestering Reed with questions. As Reed tries to get a handle on the fact that the Beyonder has just appeared before him, the rest of the team capture the hate monger, only to have his master disappear. But before they can get any answers out of the hate monger, he's suddenly murdered by a mysterious figure who shouts out that justice is served before making a run for it. She-Hulk is ready to chase the murderer down, but Reed orders her to stay. He tells the team that he's fairly certain that the hate monger wasn't even a real person, but a humanoid construct. And considering how the dude turned into a big puddle of ooze after being shot, I think I have to agree. Reed then does what Reed does best, which is ignoring his wife and the rest of the team so that he can turn his attention on the Beyonder. However, when Reed admits that it would be difficult for him to explain the intricacies of existence, the Beyonder just teleports away to find someone who can. In the meantime, as Spider-Man continues to seek out the Beyonder, the one from beyond appears before another storefront. Seeing a suit that strikes his fancy, he uses his powers to make it appear on himself. The suit is ill-fitting, and he is scolded by a homeless woman named Elsie. She explains to him that you need money to pay for things, and then points out that the suit barely fits. The Beyonder fixes the suit and then decides to follow Elsie to listen to her advice, finding what she has to say about money to be quite interesting. Elsie takes him to the cardboard box she calls home when the two are attacked by a gang led by Charlie Car Crash. Apparently, <laughs> this isn't the first time Charlie and his gang have gone after Elsie. They seem to be operating under the idea that, quote, old bag ladies, their words, not mine, have thousands of dollars stashed away, and Charlie and the gang want it. They also assume that the Beyonder, based on his suit, has money on him, and so they slap him around some. They, of course, soon discover that the one from Beyond isn't at all liquid at the moment, and so they beat the crap out of him. When they run off, Elsie hands the Beyonder a business card for Heroes for Hire, telling him that if he had money, he could hire them to deal with those crooks. Using his powers to heal himself, the Beyonder decides to do just that and teleports away. He arrives at the offices for Heroes for Hire, but as luck would have it, he's arrived after business hours and nobody's there. But the Beyonder being the Beyonder, he doesn't let a little thing like time keep him down. So he just reaches backwards through time and pulls Power Man and Iron Fist forward from a few hours in the past and into the present. Luke Cage, also known as Power Man, believing that he and Iron Fist are being attacked, rushes the Beyonder, who simply flings Luke back. Danny Rand, also known as Iron Fist, tries to lay the Beyonder out with his, you know, his, his, his Iron Fist. But the Beyonder just teleports Danny to the other side of the room as Luke jumps him, 
grappling with the Beyonder before telling him to step outside so that they don't damage the office furniture while they're throwing fists, iron, and otherwise. And so the Beyonder jumps out the office window and falls to the ground. Luke jumps out after him, but is stopped from fighting further by Iron Fist. When the Beyonder tells them that he desires to know more, to understand what humanity is, Luke tells them that it's all about the money, the green, the cheddar. That's what makes the world go round. The Beyonder thanks them, and as Spider-Man arrives on the scene, the one from beyond decides to pay Luke and Danny for their assistance in helping him to understand. To do so, the Beyonder uses his powers to turn the entire office building into solid gold, which quickly collapses under its own weight. With his payment made, the Beyonder teleports away, sending Luke and Danny back into the past as he does so. As the issue ends, Spider-Man is left feeling very much alone before a mountain of gold. Secret Wars 2, it says, continues in Web of Spider-Man, issue number 6, Amazing Spider-Man number 268, and Fantastic Four number 282. That synopsis, by the way, was taken from MarvelFandom.com and had big bunches of it rewritten by me, your host. My name is Steven. All right, so let's talk about this issue. Oh my gosh, this thing was a freaking mess. Where to begin? Uh, let's start with the cover. So the cover was done by Al Milgram. It shows the Beyonder in his energy form with buildings to either side of him and behind him. They are on fire with a, a kind of a pink energy fire, maybe a purple. I'm a little colorblind, so I'm not sure if that's a pink or a purple. And then you have the Fantastic Four, Power Man and Iron Fist, and Spider-Man basically trying to subdue the Beyonder. And it says on the cover, quoth the Beyonder, I'll take Manhattan. And uh, not a big fan of this cover. I mean, it looks fine. It looks all right. It's a pretty cool looking cover, but it seems to evoke this idea that the Beyonder has decided, I'm just going to take over the, uh, the city. I'm just going to take over Manhattan. It's mine. I'm going to take it. You guys can't stop me because I'm the Beyonder. And the superheroes are then trying to stop him. And none of that happens at all in the issue. So it's very, very misleading. The freaking title of the issue even is misleading. I'll take Manhattan. I mean, again, to me, it feels like that means that the Beyonder is there to conquer. And that's not the case at all. So as I said in the synopsis, the Beyonder at this point looks like Steve Rogers. I believe that came from one of the tie-in issues. I know that, I'm going to say this again, I know that I have talked about how the, the point of this show is to read the main title, and in, in this case, the, the nine issues of Secret Wars 2, and that I was not going to read any of the tie-ins. And that still remains true. However, I think I also mentioned this last week. I did read this back in 1985, and I did read many of the tie-ins. So there are stuff that happens in this issue that I know comes from one of the tie-ins that I've read. And so when those kind of memories pop up, I will mention them. But beyond that, I'm not refreshing myself. I'm not, re I'm not rereading those, those tie-ins. So I'm fairly certain that this new look for the Beyonder came from a Captain America issue that landed between issues one and two of Secret Wars 2. 
So a couple of notes I made as we kind of go through this. Um, I referred to Sue Richards in the synopsis as Invisible Woman. The actual synopsis called her the Invisible Girl, and the issue even refers to her as the Invisible Girl. Well, the previous month in Fantastic Four number 280, John Byrne officially changed her name to Invisible Woman. And apparently, even though he's the freaking editor-in-chief, that information didn't make it to Jim Shooter when he was putting this issue together. But I will be referring to her as the Invisible Woman throughout this series. And speaking of the Fantastic Four, oh my God, their whole part of this issue just didn't make sense. And by that, I mean, I don't understand why it was even included. Maybe that's going to become clear later in the event. I doubt it, but, but maybe it will. But for now, their storyline, first of all, it's very, it was very fractured. We learn that they are living in the Avengers mansion. There's this big riot going on all over the city. People who hate everything. It's all, uh, a plan of the hate monger and whoever his master is. They actually name that dude, the the guy who is the master of hate monger. His name is in the synopsis over at marvelfandom.com. I didn't include it in my notes because they don't mention his name at all in the issue. So I didn't include it. But this whole Fantastic Four thing comes out of a a storyline that's currently going on in the Fantastic Four. And in fact, Editor's notes in this issue tells folks, you know, if you want to check out the whole story on the FF, you got to go look at uh, Fantastic Four 280 and 281. But the odd thing is, is that those two issues aren't even technically, they're not even technically tie-in issues. They're not official tie-ins like the others that have the little thing in the corner that says Secret Wars 2 tie-in issue. It's not, they're not listed among the checklist that was in practically every Marvel comic at the time telling you which books to read. It, it, it just seems very odd because instead of feeling like what was happening in Fantastic Four ties in to what's going on in Secret Wars 2, it's more like this issue of Secret Wars 2 is a tie-in issue to what's going on in Fantastic Four, which is kind of the reverse of what a freaking event is supposed to do. And it makes me wonder what Jim Shooter was thinking at the time. I, I mean, I understand this idea that, you know, Marvel Comics wants to have this sense of continuity. And they were really good at it at the time. Stuff that was happening in one issue would be referenced in another issue. It, it, for example, from recent rereads, there is a, a moment in Walt Simonson's Thor run where. Malekith, the dark elf, opens the casket of, of winters or whatever it's called and basically turns New York into a winter wonderland or a winter wasteland, however you want to, however you want to say it. Actually, I think it's the entire world that is turned into a winter wasteland. And at the same time, there is an issue of Kitty Pride and Wolverine where they're in Japan and they're talking about the, the strange winter weather that has suddenly come upon them. And there's a little editor's note that directs folks to Walt Simonson's store run. So they do a really good job of, of making sure that big events that happen in one title are sometimes referenced in what's happening in, happening in other titles. But 
the way they're doing it here in Secret Wars 2 is just freaking weird. I mean, most of this issue is taken up with what's going on with the Fantastic Four and their battle with the hate monger and hate monger's freaking master, whoever he is, and really doesn't advance the plot of what Secret Wars 2 is supposed to be. And honestly, as I say that, I can say with the utmost confidence that two issues in, I really have no idea what the plot of Secret Wars 2 is supposed to be. Uh, again, I read this in 85, but I don't remember the outcome. I don't understand what the point of the event is supposed to be other than the Beyonder wants to understand uh, humanity. And frankly, if that is the, the point, that's pretty boring. So I can't imagine that that's, that's the case. I, I, I've, I assume that maybe at some point he's going to be like, ah, I can't understand humanity. They're stupid. I guess I will control them and destroy the world or something. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. But we sure as heck don't get any closer to the, the central theme of this event by the end of issue two. It's just a big freaking mess. It Again, it's a tie-in to what's going on over at the, uh, you know, in the Fantastic Four books, uh, but they threw in a little Power Man and Iron Fist just because they needed some more stuff in this issue. That's, that's kind of how it felt. And then, <laughs> okay, then there's this moment where after the Fantastic Four uh, defeat the hate monger, that suddenly hate monger is murdered. In, in, in the issue, it's just a, you just see a hand holding like a freaking laser gun and somebody yells out, justice is served. And if you're not reading Marvel Comics, you, that, that is going to be completely out of left field for you. And I'm fairly certain that it probably doesn't come up in this event again in, in the rest of the issues because it really has nothing to do with, with what's going on in Secret Wars 2. It is another story element, I guess, that Jim Shooter included in this book to help tie in what's going on here with what's going on in the rest of the Marvel Universe. And again, the only reason I know what's going on here with this dude killing the hate monger is because I was reading all the Captain America books at the time. And this guy that you don't see is referred to as the scourge of the underworld. Not in this issue. I just know that because I was reading Captain America at the time. And it was kind of a uh, 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 storyline that was running through uh, the Captain America issues at the time. And I it, it probably showed up in other titles, but it was mostly a Captain America thing. I think it was a Mark Grunewald thing. Um, but it's some vigilante who was out killing bad guys, kind of like the Punisher, but he's not the Punisher. And I think the edict was, I think uh, Marvel wanted to get rid of a bunch of their C and D list villains. And the way they did that was the scourge of the underworld would just show up and kill people. And I don't remember if he ended up being somebody, you know, like a named villain. I don't remember, but that's kind of not the point. The point is it was a a really weird thing to include. I mean, again, it does help tie in with the rest of the Marvel Universe. If you're somebody that's reading pretty much all the Marvel titles as you're reading Secret Wars 2, then you probably may have enjoyed the Fantastic Four stuff that was in this issue and the Scourge of the Underworld because 
you know, I think uh, my my co-host of uh, uh, the, the the co-host of um, the Superman Super Show, Ed Ed Moore, he said in one of those episodes at some point that continuity for him is the reward that he gets for reading all of these books, which just means that when something like this happens in an issue where suddenly the scourge of the underworld kills the hate monger, folks who may not be reading all the other books and and is just reading Secret Wars 2, they're not going to get that. And for them, it's going to be like, well, that was kind of weird. I wonder if that's going to come up again. I wonder if they're going to address that at some point in this event. But folks like myself and 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 whoever was was reading all the other titles at the time that they they see that and they go oh wow that's cool yeah that's from captain america i get that reference you know and so in a way it's it's the reward for folks who have been reading a lot of books i just felt that it was out of place if you are a new reader and i think that's a fair thing to say because Jim Shooter was one of those editor-in-chiefs that basically had this big edict, and it probably came from Stan Lee, but it's everybody's issue. Every issue is somebody's first issue. And so you have to, throughout the issue, as seamlessly as possible, explain who everybody is, and every once in a while, catch folks up on what's going on. So that new readers can pick up a book and read it and and enjoy it. And when you take that idea and you put it against the idea that events, at least nowadays, probably over the last 10 to 15, 20 years, an event title like this is kind of a way to get new readers into the Marvel or the DC universe. That may not have been the case back then. I mean, these kinds of books were, were still quite new. Marvel and DC. And so I'm sure Jim was was really kind of, you know, taking the the training wheels off after doing Secret Wars and now he's he's trying to tackle something that is way bigger with so much more tying into what's going on here. It's, you know, it's it's the idea I guess is that it's 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 this central book that reaches out and touches everything else in the Marvel universe. But it's abundantly clear that you're only going to have that kind of enjoyment if you're reading all the other titles. And yeah, that's the point. They want you to buy all their books, but it just it made this issue especially feel fractured and random. You know, it's again, I'll go back to the Fantastic Four as an example. When we first meet them in this issue, Reed and Johnny are in Avengers Mansion. That I didn't put that in the synopsis. It really didn't matter. She-Hulk is in the back of a freaking paddy wagon. She's handcuffed with her man friend, Wyatt Wingfoot. And Sue Richards is sneaking Alicia Masters out of the Avengers Mansion during this whole riot thing. And then we go from there to some other stuff. And then when we get back to the Fantastic Four, Sue Richards is then sneaking Alicia Masters out of the Avengers Mansion. The hate monger approaches them in the the form of Reed, which confuses Sue at first because she just saw Reed back in the back in the Avengers Mansion and he was wearing his costume. And and here suddenly here's Reed on the street and he's wearing like a freaking winter coat. But hate monger is allowed to touch her, which transfers his, you know, throws all of his 
hate power or whatever into her, you know, making her turning into turning her into malice who hates Reed Richards and hates everything else. And and then we go from there to other parts of the Marvel universe. And then when we come back to them, suddenly she's no longer malice within the span of a few pages. Reed Richards has done something that released her from her control under the hate monger. And She-Hulk is there. It just, it's just really weird. It was just for, for reading this issue and not reading anything else. It was just very, it's not good storytelling as far as I'm concerned. And I'll say it again. This is, you know, Big Jim's still getting his feet wet. He's still trying to figure all this out. But at the same time, across the street at the Distinguished Competition, they uh, are doing this seemingly with no effort over a crisis on infinite earths. So there's a reason why Secret Wars 2 was considered the most despised comic of, of 1985. And this issue is a, is a big example of that. As far as the rest of the issue, yeah, I mean, it's just the Beyonder looking like Steve Rogers in a all white skin tight bodysuit with no socks or shoes on, just being weird, just trying to figure things out. We do have that wonderful moment where Spider-Man has to teach him how to use the toilet, which I just don't know how I feel about that. On the one hand, I think it's probably one of the funniest things I've ever read in a comic book. And I feel like it's one of those things that you, 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 don't, you don't see in comics. And there's a part of you that always wants to see that kind of stuff in comics. You know, there may have probably people who would be reading a comic like this and go, you know, I wonder... If he doesn't understand what it's like to be a human, and now the Beyonder is human and he's eating stuff, does he know what it means to take a crap? You know? <laughs> and so that must have been going through Jim's mind. People are going to wonder how the Beyonder poops or how he learns how to poop. Is it in, is it in, in, and, uh, can't talk. Is it an instinctual thing? Well, yeah, I think it is. Otherwise, you would have to sit down and teach a baby how to poop into its own diaper, right? So the idea of pooping, I guess, is kind of a new idea to the Beyonder. And I think he would have figured it out. You know, obviously, it, at some point, it's going to come out of him. He doesn't have a choice. He can't stop it. I mean, he could. He's the Beyonder. He could just use his powers to decide, all right, I'm not going to poop anymore. But for him, it's like, what is this feeling that, I, that, that, that is in my tummy? You know, there's there's a pressure there. And eventually he would have figured it out because as poop is coming out of him, you know, he's going to be like, well, this is weird, you know. But Spider-Man, I guess his role here was less teaching him how to poop and more potty training him, you know, so that he would go in the toilet. That was that was kind of the purpose here, which is really kind of funny. And it makes a lot of sense, really, because if you think about the fact that the Beyonder is really a, a baby when it comes to living on Earth, he, he knows nothing. And with a baby, you got to potty train them so they don't just poop all over the place. And that's what that's the role that Spider-Man played. Uh, I also want to talk about Charlie Car Crash, uh, who apparently the the idea where he thinks that homeless people have, or I guess in his case, he thinks it's just homeless women have uh, thousands of dollars stashed away that, you know, they're just living on the streets because they want to. 
They can afford a four-star hotel, but nah, they'd rather sleep in a cardboard box in an alleyway and be, be beaten up junk like that. But it seems that this is not the first time Charlie Car Crash has appeared in a Marvel book. And it's, and, and it's not the first time he has gone after Elsie either, because we get a, a, an editor's note that tells us that we would want to look at Marvel Age number 20. Because when Charlie Car Crash, I got to keep saying his full name because it's so stupid. When he shows up, he tells Elsie that he says, <laughs> Hiya, hag, me again, Charlie Car Crash. And this time, like no one's going to help you. And that's when we get the editor's note that says, See Marvel Fanfare number 20. And you know what? For some reason, I thought that said Marvel Age. So I looked up when Marvel Age number 20 came out, which was back in August of 94. And I thought that didn't make a lot of sense. So let me look up Marvel Fanfare. Marvel Fanfare issue number 20 hit the shelves on February 5th, 1985. So I don't remember reading a lot of Marvel Fanfare back in the day. According to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, the title of the issue is The Clash, and it features um, the thing on the cover wrestling with a bunch of alien monster looking people. I don't know what that has to do with Charlie Car Crash, but according to this editor's note, that's where we want to go to see old Charlie. And Charlie is, he's got kind of a weird hairdo. He's He's got a huge forehead because there's there's he has no hair on the very top of his head, you know, where his forehead is. But he's got a full head of hair about halfway back. So like halfway back from the top of his head is a full head of hair. And yet right in the middle of his forehead is a tuft of hair like he's just going bald right there at the top of his head, you know, the forefront of his head, which happens to men. I've seen it before. but. Why he has a tuft of hair literally growing out of the front of his forehead is just really kind of weird. But I felt like I had to spend some time talking about him just simply because his name is Charlie Car Crash. And that is a that's a wonderful name. But in the end, what I can say about Secret Wars 2, two issues in to a nine issue event. Yeah, it looks like you do need to read not just the tie-in issues to fully understand, not to fully enjoy, but to fully understand everything that's going on. And not only the tie-in issues, it's like you also need to read most of the rest of the Marvel Universe books at the same time to really, again, understand what's going on. I get reading tie-in issues or having a bunch of tie-in issues to give you a larger part of the story so that your enjoyment of the story is escalated. That's not the right word, but I, I get that. I understand that. I think nowadays that's what tie-in issues are used for. They, they are not used to tell parts of the story that you need to know to understand what's going on in the nine issues. But that's what they were doing here with Secret Wars 2. And knowing, again, that this is considered one of the, 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 the most despised books of 1985, this experiment of theirs uh, obviously failed because that's not how they do it nowadays. Books have just as many tie-in issues, but again, they're not, they're not there to, you're not forced to read those to understand the story. 
They're more there to give you a, a bigger picture, to broaden the story, to to give you a bit more. Here's the story. It's a lot of fun. But if you want even more, if you want to know how it affects other areas, if you want to know um, a bit more detail, then yeah, the tie-in issues are great. Sometimes the tie-in issues aren't great. They, they're just literally there to say, hey, this is a tie-in, and it's not. Not in any fashion, but too late, you spent your money. And then sometimes they, seems like uh, the, the, the thing to do now, at least when it comes to this Lazarus planet thing that's going on over DC, I still at this point don't know if this is an event that's going to have a core title you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine issues, or if it's just literally a series of one shots, because over the last couple of months, all we've gotten are one shots and all I can see coming are more one shots. And I'm not a big fan of that, but whatever. It's not why we're here. But yeah, you are going to need to read other books to really know what's going on in Secret Wars. Is it going to help you to enjoy it? Probably not. Probably not. But but that's my conclusion so far. Uh, the only other thing I have to say is I think the art got a little bit better in this issue. And, and by that, I mean, it no longer feels, I guess the only word I could use to describe it last week was small. It doesn't, it no longer feels small. It doesn't feel like that the text is overwhelming the art, that there's more text than art, that the art is just there because it has to be, because it's a comic book, but it's more of a, a text piece. It doesn't feel like that anymore, but they still do a whole bunch of telling us what's going on without showing us. And frankly, I, I find it all just a bit exhausting. Uh, before we wrap the episode up though, cause this would be the point, I guess I would normally wrap it up. I actually have some feedback that I want to read that I've received since, uh, the, the ending of season two crisis on infinite earths. So Let's do some listener feedback. All right, I got two items for you. Both of them came by way of email, eventorelse at gmail.com. The, the first email I got was from MarvelX42, and their email says, I like and listen to several of your podcasts. I particularly like Event or Else. I hope you cover Marvel Superheroes Contest of Champions. When it comes up in the timeline. Now, I've already, I've already, talking is a real chore for me, which is a shame because you kind of need to be able to do that to do a podcast. Anyway, I've already responded to Marvel X 42 or Marvel Times 42 or Marvel 1042, but I'll tell you what I told them. Um, I didn't really have any plans on doing Contest of Champions. This was technically the first Marvel event. It came before Marvel Superhero Secret Wars. It was two or three issues. I have read it. It's kind of fun, but I hadn't planned uh, originally on talking about it. I chose to start with Marvel Superhero Secret Wars uh, because that's where I started historically when I was a kid. My first event that I ever read uh, was Marvel Superhero Secret Wars. And, and that's when I started reading Marvel Comics was with that event. So that's where I decided to start when I started event or else. However, I do know that there is, for example, there's a DC event coming up at some point called Invasion, which if we're just looking at the core titles, I think that too is only like three issues. So, so what I told Marvel X 42 was when I get to Invasion, since it's 
just three issues. Maybe I'll do just a couple of short seasons at this at that point, you know. Um, I'll do Marvel Marvel's Contest of Champions then. So that should be kind of fun. It won't fall into the timeline, but still it should be kind of fun. All right. The second bit I got was an email from Michael Atchison. He is one of the hosts of Campus Comics, and he just started his own podcast called Mike's Comic Shop Roadshow, which is really kind of a fun podcast. Apparently, Mike does a lot of traveling. And I, I'm I'm saying Mike because he uses it in the title of his of his podcast. I'm not just assuming that he goes by Mike. All right. Because I hate it when people just assume that I go by Steve. Because I don't. Anyway, apparently Mike does a lot of traveling. And when he is traveling, when he's he's, you know, in a new place or or um somewhere away from home, wherever he's traveling to, one of the things he does is he checks out the local comic book store. And he goes in and he buys stuff. And the the idea behind this show is that from this point forward, when he goes into one of these comic book stores in some somewhere else in the world, he will try to make arrangements to sit down with the owner or manager or somebody within the shop and have a conversation with them and then have them recommend a book that he will then read. And at least based on his first episode, which is all I've listened to so far, it's all I've had time for so far, um, him and a couple of other guys get together and read that book and then talk about it. It's, it's, it's a really neat show. Apparently, um, he was on an episode of the daily Rios and I remember the, the episode. I just don't remember what book they were talking about, but he and Peter kind of came up with the idea when they were putting that episode together. So Mike's Comic Shop Roadshow. It's really fun. Go look for it. And it's new. So there's only a couple of episodes out. And that's always the best time to, to jump on a podcast. So you don't have this strange, completist feeling that, that many of us comic book readers have to go back and listen to all the previous episodes. Anyway, let's get to his freaking email already. He says, I've been following your joint venture with Ed Moore, the Superman Super Show, for several months now. And I just came across Event or Else. When I saw your Twitter post on contemplating the crisis with Peter Rios, I have to tell you, this is great stuff. As much as I love the deep, and I mean deep, dives of Peter and Adam Murdo's crisis tapes for the last several years, your rendition of the event is awesome to hear, too. Your synopses are just the right length, not glossed over at all, but not too long either. A more digestible snack for the crisis fan that I am. I have read and reread Crisis on Infinite Earths more times than any other comic book or series in my 45 plus years of reading, and it's nice to hear the perspective of a mostly Marvel guy like you proclaim to be. It's fresh and interesting and a nice counter to the perspective of DC fans like me, who can be almost too steeped in the DC lore and all of its universes and timelines to see what's right in front of us. For example, your points about the Trinity not making a significant appearance in Crisis early on and the weird dismissal of Blue Beetle for his supposed ineffectiveness are points that I haven't considered, or if I did, it was long ago. Your top three things to dwell on section is a nice way to frame your observations. I am on episode four and plunging through them each day of my morning walks. All in all, very well done. Thanks so much for the enjoyment. And I also have already responded to Mike, but that was a great email that made my day. Um, it's nice to know, you know, one of the things that really worried me 
especially when I started Crisis. You know, when I decided to do this event, I almost, or when I decided to do this podcast, I almost feel like I always have to start every first episode of any podcast I do by telling folks that I am not an expert on anything. This is not going to be a deep dive into these books. This is not going to be me teaching you anything. This is just me reading the books and talking about how I felt. And, you know, there are a crap ton of other podcasts that do a really good job of doing those deep dives and really getting into the meat of the matter and talking about, you know, where stuff came from, what the different concepts are, what the themes are, what was going on in the, in the, in the, comic book world at the time, what, you know, just all this stuff. And Mike mentions Peter Rios and Adam Murdo's crisis tapes. They do that. They're just, they're great episodes. And I always worry that folks are going to go, Ooh, this guy's talking about secret wars, or this guy's talking about crisis on infinite earths. And they expect something like that. And it's nice to hear from somebody who appreciates basically what I'm, what I'm trying to do here. Now (laughs) I did let Mike know that where he's at currently as far as where he's listening, which would be the episode covering crisis issue number four, at least at the time that he sent the email. You know, I told him that those episodes were written and recorded and produced with the idea that they would be accompanied by a video. And so they were meant to be kind of short, um, to the point, concise, because I had to worry about creating a video to go along with it and, and how, you know, what images I would show and all, and all that junk. And, you know, I let them know that currently I I've stopped doing the videos. I abandoned that because it caused a delay of the show for almost two years because the idea of putting together a video just exhausted me. And so I didn't have any motivation to continue making any more episodes until I finally decided, you know what, just stop doing the videos. So. Um, let him know that the, for example, the top three things to dwell on, it's gone. Um, replaced just with me talking about various things throughout the throughout the issue. And it's, in essence, it's still the top three things to dwell on. It's just a little expanded because I don't have to worry about how I'm going to fit video to just me randomly talking about stuff. But Mike, I really appreciated the email and I'm enjoying, or at least I enjoyed the first episode of Mike's Comic Shop Roadshow and I'm I'm looking forward to more. And that's it. That's the feedback we got, folks. Uh, if you want to leave any feedback, event or else at gmail.com. There's a, a bunch of other ways you can do it. It's all in the show notes. You'll, you'll hear a little wrap up at the end. So I'm not going to do it here. But next week, join us for Secret Wars 2, issue number three. That's called The World is Mine. And you just got to wonder, could this event get any worse? Let's find out together, shall we? Bye. Event or Else is a Stephen or Else production. Find more great podcasts at stephenorelse.com. Questions and comments can be directed to eventorelse at gmail.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash stephenrorr. And in return, I'm going to do my very best to get you and your fellow patrons episodes just like this one before anybody else. I also encourage you to rate the show wherever available and share this episode with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. There's a snort.
Uh, that may go at the end of the set. It better. Here it is, folks. Break the dish and make your wish. It's time for Event or Else, the podcast where I go through most every major Marvel indies. <sighs> I gotta take a big breath. I don't know why I don't take a big breath when I do that. Stupid. You've only been doing this for, like, ever. Okay, here we go. The letters, and the letters were by Rick. Why is there no colorist listed here? Hold on, hold on. All right, well, we'll do from here. Parker and Joseph Rubin. Why am I having so much trouble with this? One more time. Let's do one more time. Here, I'll tell you what. This usually helps. I'm going to take a drink. Take a drink, folks. Drink up. Oh, that water should do hit the spot, folks. Drink up. All right, this was written. Inks were by Steve Lay Aloha and Joseph Rubenstein. The, God, is it Rubenstein or Rubenstein? I think it's Rubenstein. That's where I'm having the problem. Having made his way across the country, the blah, 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 flea. I, I don't, I don't, I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't understand why I am having so much issues with the talking so much. It makes me go a little bit crazy. Crazy for feeling that I can't talk. <clears throat> All right, let's try it again. Here we go. As Why do I do that? <laughs> the Beyonder has decided that the best path toward understanding... The Beyonder has decided that the best... Looking like I like and listen to several of your podcasts. I particularly, I particularly really have a hard time with particular. So that's where I decided to just go away.